Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, I'm your host today, Ed Clementi. And today we have a unique combination of a father and daughter who run a business together. And we have Pranadia and Karadia and Chaitan Koradia. And I should also, we can call you CK. You gave me permission, right, CK? Yes, indeed, you can. Yes. And welcome to the show too, Pran. Thank you. And uh, your organization is called Transfer Inc. and your supply chain logistics. But this is where I give you guys, and I don't know if one of you wants to give the sort of overview of what the company does. If it's, uh, did you guys choose one of you? Which one of you want to go first and explain the company? I guess I can let the founder <laughs> take care of that question. <laughs> your dad, okay. Yes. Ed, okay. uh, Transfer Inc. was founded in 1987 uh, as a moving company internationally. That's how we began. And slowly, slowly, we became a forwarder and uh, then added uh, uh, a warehouse where we started doing the storage as well as um, uh, packing, wrapping, loading. And slowly, slowly, uh, became customs house broker and a complete logistical uh, organization. Ever since Pranadi came in, uh, she uh, added uh, more dimensions to it, and she started the back office and uh, uh, did a vertical, you know, a complete transition of uh, maintaining uh, all levels of transportation. And we have come long way since 1987. Pran, anything you want to add on? Um, Yeah, I can add on to uh, where my dad had spoken about the vertical integration. Um, What I added was an NVOCC called Transcend International. Um, An NVOCC stands for a non-vessel operating carrier um, and works similar to a travel agency that books up space on, um, on flights. We would also book up a certain amount of space on um, steamship lines that we can then give out to other forwarders like ourselves. And you use quite a bit of language that's sort of in-house. And part of the show, we know a lot of people listen to this, but is there really a fundamental difference between like um, logistics, supply chain, and then you threw out the word freight forwarder, right? Uh Are those all similar things to each other? Is that sort of like the normal for the business? Generally speaking, the freight folders require a federal maritime license. So the difference uh, uh, to become a freight folder is you have to obtain a license for which you need a bond, uh, for which you need uh, a setup with appropriate uh, insurance uh, coverages. So uh, essentially, they are all the uh, the terms uh, used for transportation companies that carry cargo overseas, but they have certain limitations when it comes to their liabilities. Uh, 
So uh, as a freight forwarder, you are practically a travel agent for uh, cargo going overseas. As an NVO, you are uh, you are actually the carrier yourself. Uh, in other words, you can issue your own bill of ladings. Uh, uh, so, yes, uh, they are a little different, but they do serve the same goal of transporting a cargo from point A to point B, which is your final destination. And maybe it's for you, Prad, but uh, explain, like, you're the, uh, should mention you're chief operating officer and owner, and your dad is chief executive officer and the founder. Um, so when did you start uh, becoming the CEO? So, yeah, I joined the company right after I graduated from college in 2011. Um, and I worked my way up um, by 2016, 17. I had um, taken over as COO. Um, and in that role, I began to oversee the full logistics from the door to door for door to door of all our shipments, um, whether it was our specialty of the household goods shipments or commercial and nonprofit shipments. So um, whether, whether, you know, it was a commodity that was time sensitive or um, hazardous, non-hazardous, the full logistics was overseen by me. Um, and then at that same time, when I took over as COO is when I also um, took a uh, exam to become a customs brokers, um, which allowed me to add in the importing sector to our business. We were a more export heavy business prior to that. Um, and then I started adding in um, that to become a full logistics company. And um, could you guys, either one of you, uh, just give some examples of just generally like things you would be shipping or bringing in or, bring, you know, or receiving, or I'm saying sending out or bringing in? Yeah, so initially when my parents, my dad um, specifically started the company, it was, um, our niche was in household goods and personal effects. So that's something that we still maintain to this day. It's still our um, our main focus. Um, but we added on to that, and um, now we do commercial products, which range from um, automobile products, automobiles, auto parts, um, machinery, heavy, um, or maybe more specialized equipment. Um, we also deal with nonprofit uh, partners who ship medical equipment and supplies, pharmaceutical supplies, um, sometimes MRI machines that require a more specific mode of transportation due to its, um, its needs for temperature control or the battery control during the transport. So yes, that's kind of a full range. Um, the only things I'd say we don't ship are um, food products and um, and then anything defense related. So, And, you know, this is, I know your headquarters are in Westland, Michigan, but um, like is most things, because we're on the Great Lakes, could you guys sort of, Define because I think you do mainly salt water only. You don't do fresh water. Am I mixing them up? No. Uh, traditionally speaking, here Great Lakes are not. You know, uh, in today's date, 
are hardly used for international transits or, uh, you know, uh, uh, ocean carriers. Uh, because of the Miniland Bridge, by Miniland Bridge, what we mean is connections of the railways. It's easy and faster to get connected to the coast and uh, therefore uh, increase the efficiency of the uh, actual transit time uh, by connecting to the uh, ocean uh, ports. Uh, the local uh, Great Lake ports have uh, greatly diminished in uh, their present uh, participation, uh, like they yeah, so so. Yes, we are uh, strictly uh, ocean carriers connecting to the salt lake, not freshwater uh, ports. Bodies of water, right? Yes. And so, for example, um, if you're going to get a cargo container in. Um, they could be coming from the East Coast or the West Coast, or do you have one side you go to more? No. Uh, generally speaking, they could be coming from uh, East Coast, West Coast, South Ports, you know, from Houston, area, oh. from from uh, uh, Florida. I mean, the, uh, the, the best portion of uh, our uh, business now is uh, every uh, region has inland container depots, customs uh, areas, and customs offices, or you know you can call, call it uh, actual inland ports, inland inland depots where the cargo can come as if it's coming to Detroit port, uh, in spite of being uh, coming through the transit on rail, it is still enters. U.S. domain after clearancing at uh, the final point, which is Detroit. Until then, it is not cleared, and it remains outside the uh, the uh, the system uh, to to enter. Uh, Pranadi, if you want to add something, yeah, um, yeah. Besides the East and West Coast, and even the South region of the U.S. Because of Detroit's uh, geographic location, we also have many imports that come by rail from Canadian uh, rails, whether it's Montreal or from Vancouver. Um, and then they would come straight to Detroit after you know crossing Windsor or um, whichever port point of entry. So yeah, really, they could reach Michigan from almost any any uh, side, and we would be able to handle that. And so, I, I mean, I remember when I was in the legislature. They were trying to develop a corridor that came right from Nova Scotia, and that might be the same one that goes through Montreal, I would guess, because uh, of the shipping time to go, come from Europe. Uh, is that where a lot of the Canadian would kind of come from, like along the Montreal-Toronto corridor kind of? Yes. Yeah. There is uh, two ways uh, it can come. Is uh, the uh, Lawrence Seaway, if it is coming on the water, and there are charter vessels for private uh, uh, manufacturers or private traders. They do have vessels that are chartered for their purposes only, but it's during a very limited time of the year. It's not year-round. However, the shipments coming uh, through the rail comes constantly throughout the year 
once it hits Montreal, Halifax, or uh, uh, Prince Rupert on the West Coast, or uh, uh, you know uh, Vancouver, they they could be very well connected by the rail, and they make it to Detroit within uh, approximately ten to fourteen days. So, and this kind of leads to one of the next questions: is obviously during the uh, pandemic. But now even sort of um, with, uh, you know, inflation and things like that, how does that, how do those variables uh, kind of affect your business? And how did you, I know, Prime, we talked earlier about how you had some interesting stories that were going on that businesses opened up actually because of the pandemic, some opportunities for you, right? Um, Well, I guess. I could kind of take it back to how logistics was looking like during the pandemic and um, the big change that's happened, thankfully, um, over time. Um, When the pandemic initially hit, we had uh, many issues with, of course, you know, labor being at a shortage, drivers then being at a shortage. Um, It created so many bottlenecks um, from the port to the rail to, you know, bringing things inland. Um, During the pandemic at its worst, there were about 198, 200 vessels in line off the coast of LA, um, just waiting to be docked um, at the port. So um, you can imagine the number of containers that are just blocking um, blocking that ability to, to bring it in for that many vessels to be waiting. Um, so that was definitely a tough time in the industry. Um, and I guess, yeah, there were some companies that uh, were, would, you know, could take on the challenge and find solutions. And that, that gave them an opportunity to, you know, open up businesses. Um, a lot of businesses shut down, but then with, as things got better, um, the need for drivers had increased so much that that was, um, definitely turned into opportunity for many people. Um, and then, I guess at that same time, another opportunity that arose was trying to take advantage of the different, um, of the ports, inland ports, I guess you could say like our port of Detroit was something that I think started, people started looking at a little more closely how we could use uh, these advantages uh, to kind of counteract the the congestion that was happening from the rail. Maybe there was opportunity there with using our, with using the St. Lawrence. uh, um, Seaway. Seaway. Yes. Sorry. And then, you know, opening up, land bridges. Um, so yes, that was all a tough time, which has now become eased up over time. We still see congestion now. And then again, you know, when the holidays arise, (laughs) it all kind of starts up again. But, um, but yes, that was, that was 2019, 2020 and things are looking up now. (laughs) So a little less stress for us. You're listening to the Michigan Opportunity featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. CK, um, you, you you were born in India, right? And you went to university there, but then you came here to go to university too, right? That is correct. Yes. And you got to, I think, uh, just talking to you beforehand, but you sort of, got into the business almost 
kind of through a not a very traditional way, right? You started working. That for, is true. Uh, that is true. Very true. Uh, the um, uh, this that was again uh, an opportunity just uh, happened, and um, yes, I was uh, let go from a job and no other job to be secured. So started my own, and uh, uh, I was blessed with. Uh, with an opportunity just uh, that uh, just took off, fortunately. And um, you know, uh, and I get back to Pran again. You you mentioned you went to university, but uh, you didn't plug University of Michigan, which <laughs> you do all the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what'd you get that. your degree in over there? Um, yes, go blue. Um, I I studied economics and psychology. I double main, majored in those subjects, and I minored in international studies. So, yes, all and, of that uh, led to um, all of that, I think, combines for great use in this industry. So. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the psychology part, I mean, you're dealing, <laughs> you have to deal what I imagine you guys have to deal with people from every time zone possible too, right? trying to get stuff around. Yep, that's right. I think email this this industry never sleeps. So emails are coming in day, night, um, you know, the vessels are moving throughout the day. So tracking and um, keeping an eye on, on the logistics is, is a day and night job. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing too, is, is it unusual? You know, you're, is this more of like, is there unusual to have a woman in a freight forwarding industry or is that pretty typical or is it, are you unique or what? As, as, I don't know too many other people doing it. So. Yeah. Um, I would say it's, it's, it's unique. I mean, I'm definitely in the minority. Um, I've attended conferences for this industry where maybe 10% or less was comprised of women. So um, yeah, I think the number is growing, but it was never really an industry that um, that had that many women participating in it. So, Yes, I would agree that, you know, uh, this was a little bit uh, in the time behind. Uh, Generally, the it was very heavily men dominated because they could travel and meet, and uh, they had to deal with uh, people far away. Uh, and sometimes, uh, most of their sales used to take part by traveling, and therefore, at one time, it was less probable to have uh, uh, woman participation at the at the management level. And we should put a plug in for your wife and Pran's mother. She works there quite a bit too, right? You you two started it kind of together originally, CK? That is correct. Sir. And and in that respect, now why uh, let me backtrack my statement. No, no, this uh, company would not have succeeded without a uh, woman participation. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. In case I run into her, I want to make sure she got her. Uh, Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so uh, last couple of questions for you. Um, I know you, uh, what are some other problems or should I say challenges or do you see on the horizon? Why don't you go first prom and then you CK? Um, you mean in our industry? Any yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I guess problems. I would say right now um, is a transition, maybe into the technology sector. It's not a problem, but it is a. It's 
it's a great thing that's happening in our industry, but the transition part is a little bit, um, you know, how that happens in any transitions, it takes a minute. And in that process, it's a little shaky, but, um, yeah, I think getting, um, all the different sectors on a similar platform, whether it's, you know, the trucking side, the custom side, um, the forwarder side, finding a standardized platform that works for everybody to streamline the process is, is, um, trial and error right now. But, um, I think eventually that's going to turn into a really great, um, streamlining process and make, uh, you know, less errors, less things falling in the cracks, um, it's going to be a good time for the industry in, in the next couple of years, for sure, once we strike that balance. Yeah, it's sort of like the digitization, like all the industries are kind of going through now. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And ours is kind of, uh, you would sometimes think of it as it's almost still in a dinosaur age in certain ways. You know, I think there's a lot of room to integrate tech. Um, so again, that's another place where our industry has many opportunities um, to kind of disrupt and then enhance. So. CK, did you have anything to add? Yes. Uh, at, uh, uh, this is where I see a difference between me and my daughter. Uh, <laughs> argue about it. Uh, basically, every product is, is, is move, actually moves from a point of manufacturing to a final customer. It has to go through a transportation. And this manufacturing point of origin is going to increasingly be more spread out across the globe, finding its value. And therefore, the international transportation is going to increase. It will still be, the, 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 the fact is still going to be, it has to move from point A to point B, no matter how much technology you add, unless you are prepared to attentively keep sourcing the right uh, uh, channels and la uh, leverage it to the right uh, sources, it will be difficult to manage. So uh, I would say the area of transportation in international logistics is yet growing and will only grow aggressively. Yes. And to add, I don't think technology can replace what's already existing. It can only add to it. I mean, it's there's the, the amount of manpower and um, visibility that needs that's required to keep things moving. Um, it, it needs the support of technology. It cannot be replaced by anything. So. Well, I'm glad I could create a divide between you two. On that point. <laughs> but that see how that ended with a compromise. See, this is yes. how family businesses are able to flow. This is the key moral of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's because you're not in the same room. Um, the uh, you know, just to kind of tie this up a little bit more, and you know, I I I know both of you, and I've met you both. But um, is there uh, anything that you like to add about? Uh, because I know you're very engaged in your community. And I'm just going to put in one plug that uh, you guys are Jane's too. And that's a unique, if you guys just give me 30 seconds about what Jane's are, because I think it's a really unique community. And I know it's, uh, you guys are been, I know you brought, you know, you were Jane's and you still go back and forth to India quite a bit too, right? Yes, that's right. Um, Jane's are, I think, 
one of the smallest populations of in, of religions in the world. I, I'd have to look up the number, but I remember the percentage. It was maybe 0.01 percent um, of Jains uh, of in the population are Jains. So um, it's a very interesting religion. That's also, I would say a life philosophy or a, um, a way of life, you could say. But yeah, the three main tenets of the religion, um, which I value a lot, are ahimsa, anegantbad, and aparigra, um, which means nonviolence, non-attachment, and um, non, uh, I guess, and multiplicity of views, you could say. So open-mindedness. Well, I uh, hate to say this, but we're <laughs> kind of out of time. But I wanted to, once again, thank our two guests, the father and daughter, uh, CK and Pranity, and I appreciate both of you from Transfer for taking time out to make this happen. It sounds like you guys are continuously busy, and thank you to both of you for agreeing to do the podcast today, too. Thank you so much. This was a great time. It's always fun talking with you, Ed. (laughs) So thanks for giving us this opportunity. And Ed, I'm still waiting for you to come and visit us, please. Uh, thank you so much for for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Join us next week where our guest will be Casey Caldwell. He's principal and owner of Boomerang Catapult up in the Traverse City area. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.